I'm Afshin Ratansi, and welcome back to Going Underground, broadcasting all around the world from Dubai in the UAE. Today sees a landmark moment for Russia as it is scheduled to land a spacecraft on the moon for the first time in almost half a century. But what does the building of a moon base mean for Moscow? Its economy now replacing Germany as the biggest in Europe by GDP at purchasing power parity. And what is the real significance of tomorrow's 15th BRICS summit in South Africa, billed as a meeting to finally and irrevocably disrupt post-1945 U.S. hegemonic power. Power that has seen tens of millions or even more killed, wounded or displaced by NATO nation aggression around the world. Joining me now from Moscow is the Director General of the Russian International Affairs Council and Program Director of the influential Valdai Club, Professor Ivan Timofeyev. Thank you so much, Professor, for uh, coming on. So, uh, you know, this moon landing, Ursula von der Leyen, I don't know what future historians will say about how uh, she was as the boss of the European Union. She famously said that uh, you're down to recycling silicon chips from dishwashers and washing machines because of the sanctions. How many dishwashers and washing machines did it take for the moon, the Lunar 25, to uh, start this moon base on the moon? Well, uh... I assume that no single washing machine has suffered yet. So uh, uh, I believe that uh, our industry managed to uh, launch this station uh, uh, without the use of any uh, chips from uh, these sophisticated washing machines. But uh, to be serious, I, I, I believe this is, uh, this is a significant step for our space industry. Uh, we haven't uh, done uh, this for quite a long time, and it's a landmark for, for our moon program. Yeah, actually, more seriously about the sanctions, before I get to the BRICS summit uh, in South Africa tomorrow, uh, what does it mean that some of these companies are now returning to Russia, Volkswagen, uh, Duracell batteries? These companies are coming back to Russia. Are they just going to be welcomed back with open arms, even though they refuse to, in a sense, support the Russia war effort against what it sees as Nazism in Europe? Well, actually, last year, uh, dozens of companies, Western companies, left. Some of them did this emotionally. Others anticipated the significant slump of Russian economy. Now it turns that the Russian market is still quite big and significant that they are taking financial losses due to their withdrawal from the market. So some of the of those who have left are getting back. And actually, as far as I know, the government does not demand from them uh, any political commitments. So uh, uh, they are required to pay taxes and to... Uh, but they face no further penalty for abandoning Russia. And of course, when it comes to batteries, say, I mean, surely Russia manufactured batteries should take precedence, you'd think, if the government believes that uh, uh, they were uh, steadfast in the war effort. Well, you see that uh, it's easy to lose the market. It's very high, hard to get it back, right? So, uh, and uh, I wouldn't say that political factors here are, are crucial. The economy matters much more. When uh, Western companies left, uh, others... Uh, replace them quite quickly. I mean, first of all, Russian competitors and those from non-Western states, they were quite fast to come. So uh, now it's uh, quite a tricky task to get back this, this market back.
Well, uh, no matter what's happening with interest rates and the currency, it's all very different to how uh, Western analysts and uh, corporate mainstream media in NATO nations had it as regards uh, uh, the Russian economy. But let's go to uh, BRICS then. I mean, massive changes to the global political architecture, but you don't think it looks ridiculous that Vladimir Putin cannot go to the BRICS summit because South Africa... Uh, thinks it might arrest the R in BRICS. I mean, what sort of situation is Russia in that its leader is imprisoned in Moscow? Well, uh, I, I would say that, of course, that the situation is uh, ridiculous, and uh, I believe but it's, that... It's ridiculous because uh, the Russian government has not got the uh, South Africa government to agree to allowing him to come, surely. Well, I, I would say that it harms uh, to the host country's reputation not less than uh, it harms to, to, to Russia, right? Uh, so uh, it seems that uh, all the sides could benefit from the presence of, uh, of the Russian leader. But anyway, the, the event is significant and uh, uh, their capability of the economies of the member states, of BRIC member states, uh, is quite huge, uh, and now with the sanctions against Russia, there is a growing understanding uh, in the non-Western world that uh, more efforts to be done to uh, build uh, more autonomous uh, alternative financial system, uh, not to be subject. Yeah, and to NATO, sorry to interrupt, but NATO nations will be looking at BRICS and saying, yeah, whatever they're talking about de-dollarization and a new world, they can't even get the Russian leader there because such is the power of Washington, which isn't even a member of the International Criminal Court, such is the power of the European Union and this court that has imprisoned mostly uh, black African leaders, that Putin can't even go to the meeting. There's a win for Brussels. There's a win for London and Washington. Uh, this uh, cannot stop the fundamental changes uh, in their approaches of non-Western countries to the international finance. So the politicization of this uh, U.S.-led financial system uh, increases concerns uh, in the non-Western worlds and increases the search for alternative ways to maintain normal markets, uh, financial transactions. Okay, well, sorry, you, you may say that, but uh, to the rest of the world, it shows such is the pressure on Cyril Ramaphosa, and I don't know whether Ramaphosa would be alive without the sacrifice of the Russian people during apartheid South Africa when uh, Britain and the United States were supporting the apartheid regime. Uh, I mean, there's Ramaphosa saying he's, he can't guarantee the safety of Putin? What exactly is going on? Why, why exactly is your understanding is why Putin is unable to travel to, uh, to South Africa? Well, uh, because there, there is a risk that uh, enforcement agencies of South Africa may uh, 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 commit to the uh, order of the International Criminal Courts and they may uh, actually T uh, taken an effort to, uh, uh, to, 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 to detain or to make any processual uh, uh, action against the, uh, the Russian leader. So there is... Well, and uh, and no given this context, Sergei Lavrov can trust a word that comes out of the South African government. The, there is a decision, uh, as far as I know, that the minister participates uh, in the meeting and, uh, well, let's hope that no political incidents uh, will uh, uh, happen around his visit. Well, clearly Putin, Putin isn't, isn't going to go. 
I mean, uh, apparently Ramaphosa did say Russia would be at war with South Africa uh, de facto if uh, Putin was arrested on arrival. I mean, can you see how this looks? I mean, Russia has completely lost the PR and uh, propaganda war in uh, NATO nations, in Europe, in Britain, in the United States. Some people may say it's slightly changing now because of the n amount of money they're pouring into the, at the expense of their own populations. So the, Russia loses the propaganda war there, and now the BRICS summit, it looks like this. Well, uh, I, I wouldn't say that uh, the goal of Russia is to win a propaganda war. The goal of Russia is to promote its national interest, right? So uh, now it's clear that uh, uh, their, uh, the, the structure of the media narrative for in the NATO countries uh, is uh, uh, not favorable to any attempt to bring uh, an alternative uh, point of view. Right, uh, so it's simply useless to do this in this current point. However, what we see in the West is the, the rise of the um, uh, of alternative opinions, which are uh, more sensitive to the Russian views and which are increasingly taking them into the account. Yeah, clearly, those voices are diminished uh, deliberately by European. Powers sometimes by law, such as such as in uh, yeah. Britain, uh, you don't think that uh, behind the scenes there will be people at the BRICS summit saying, "Look, we can play this both ways. We're getting the cheap Russian energy at discount rates, and uh, it's fine." You know, we had uh, a Cong uh, Indian Congress uh, MP on uh, Shashi Tharoor the other day. He's talking about uh, favorably about the massive India-Washington arms deal, five-year roadmap. They're doing all this. They're playing it all both sides, and uh, it's fine. And uh, presumably, we're not hearing about the kind of other stresses and pressures. I mean, to think that Lula, President Lula of Brazil, who is on this program, uh, talking about the uh, de facto Washington-backed coup against him, and he's there smiling with Biden only the other month. I mean, how well, does Russia is, see How do you see that? Well, uh, I would say that this is a natural state of affairs. These are big sovereign powers, right? So they have their interest in relations with the West, uh, with the United States in particular. And this is not the goal of Russia to detach them from the West. So the point of Russia is just to have an alternative, right? So not to be 100% dependent on one uh, pole. Uh, of the uh, in the international order, right? And Russia actually proposes to have alternatives to to to, to have a diversification of financial relations, political relations, etc. So the Russian point is not about the, the the choice between them and us, right? Yeah, but I mean, there's a class element here. We know all about how Russian elites who've been educated in the so-called West, in business schools and the like, learning neoliberalism off by heart, they, uh, well, to those who don't support that uh, ideology, believe they infest Moscow society. You know, you go to Moscow and uh, there's a newspaper called the Moscow Times on the table in the hotel going, everything Putin does is rubbish and uh, the country's gone to the dogs. It's not like if you stay at the equivalent hotel in London where you see a newspaper saying, well, actually saying the same thing and not criticizing its own government. Yeah. 
Well, well, I would not over exaggerate the impact of Western education on the views of uh, the Russians who have such an education, right? Because well, in you many don't. Occasions... Sorry, sorry to interrupt. You don't know these Moscow elite type children who all run off to Europe, and they, and uh, some of them who have escaped the draft. Well, well, some of them did, but uh, many others uh, have not, right? Uh, so it's uh, we, we should not over generalize. Same is about the education. Uh, in, in the West or in China, right? So, of course, uh, th those people are getting better understanding of the countries where they get diplomas, but uh, at the same time, they are gaining critical uh, professional skills, right, which they can uh, implement here in Russia. So it's not just about politicization or uh, soft power. But you are right in the sense that Western media are quite influential and what Russia lacks uh, is... Uh, the uh, existence of similar uh, media capabilities uh, globally. Professor Ivan Timofeyev, I'll stop you there. More from the program director of the Valdai Club and director general of the Russian International Affairs Council after this break. is one of the most flexible concepts in international relations that you can imagine, which is why it's so useful, but why it is so inherently different, difficult to grasp. So the, the, the chances we have is that countries fill it with a meaning that is useful to them and hopefully to, to others, because at, the, at, the, at its core it means I'm not taking the side of either of these completely. the Ukraine conflict really all about? We're told it's about democracy. Others say it's about the rules-based order, whatever that means. In fact, there is nothing noble about this conflict. It's just another huge grift. Those in power want to keep it that way. Welcome back to Going Underground. I'm still here with Professor Ivan Timofeyev, Program Director of the Valdai Club and Director General of the Russian International Affairs Council. You know, Professor, uh, I was talking about uh, problems at home, maybe class uh, dimensions to it. Just explain how it is that, I mean, even NATO nation media couldn't avoid the fact. How is it that Russia's GDP by PPP has made Russia the strongest economy in Europe despite being the most sanctioned country in history? Uh, last year, most of the forecasts implied that Russian economy would slump significantly, but uh, almost all of them failed, right? So in reality, the economy performs quite uh, well. I wouldn't say that it lacks problems. Uh, a number of problems are there. Uh, with the, uh, the, the, the major current problem is the course of the national currencies. However, the financial system is quite stable. Uh, the supplies uh, of critical goods are quite stable too. And what is uh, most important is that uh, the uh, Russian producers are uh, feeling much uh, better uh, in uh, this uh, uh, situation because they are now having less competitors and they have more uh, space on the market uh, to, uh, to operate, right? So uh, uh, I'm not surprised now that uh, Russian economy uh, shows these results. 
However, my optimism is quite cautious. There are still uh, a number of problems we have to, to solve, including the substitution of critical equipment, which is now under the expert control of the US, European Union and others. Can you not trade? Uh, are you talking about electronics there? Yeah, yeah, electronics is most critical. Uh, so to, to some extent, we are replacing uh, the, the, the losses uh, um, by means of our own industry, but this is not enough. Uh, the cooperation with China is uh, another avenue, and Chinese are now under the sa sanctions too. They are sanctioned by the United States, uh, especially in terms of chips, in terms of semiconductors. So uh, in a sense, we are in, in, in the same boat with China, and we have to promote our own industries. You think a lack of uh, preparation and strategy on the part of the Russian government, of the uh, Putin government, that they didn't see that the importance of having a strategic uh, power in, in these industries, as the United States has triumphed with uh, the big five electronics companies like Amazon, Apple, and uh, Meta, and uh, the, the Google? Well, actually, their understanding of the significance of these uh, branches uh, had been there even before the crisis in Ukraine. Uh, however, now uh, the expert control from the West is a huge spur uh, to promote the development uh, of our own production and uh, where we cannot uh, achieve immediate goals to cooperate with others without a friendly state, as we call them, uh, and China is among the, the, the major partners in this, result, in this regard. Of course, all of this is not in a vacuum, and uh, we've seen that while the conflict and the war rages in Europe, we've seen the United States at play in Nigeria, in Ecuador, bases in the Philippines, and now the Senate Foreign Relations Chair Bob Menendez is threatening Kyrgyzstan. Uh, explain the significance of what's going on in Kyrgyzstan and how maybe it's emblematic. They can go into any Global South country and threaten them. Well, well uh, recently four uh, companies from Kyrgyzstan uh, have been sanctioned by the U.S. Department of the Treasury. However, it should be noted that these companies are quite small and they are more or less brand new. I wouldn't over-exaggerate these uh, blocking sanctions uh, against these companies. If you look at the statistics of these secondary sanctions, uh, to the nature of them at this current point, you will see that most of them are used against quite small companies which are used usually used as intermediaries. I mean, Fidel Castro showed how you beat sanctions, but do you think the era after him and after the Cuban Missile Crisis has shown this Ukraine situation really means the end of the United States, a weapon of choice that has hurt so many families all around the world for, for decades now? Cuba survived uh, significant sanctions and it still exists as, as a sovereign state, uh, right? So, but Russia is much a big economy. It's uh, much harder to uh, isolate it. Uh, and actually, the Russian experience is a huge signal to others to get prepared to similar scenario. I mean, uh, China is apparently getting uh, this experience into account very seriously and others too. Yeah, of course, life expectancy now higher in Cuba than the United States. And famously, it was Cuba that helped uh, Angola against the British-American-backed uh, uh, apartheid regime in Ang Angola. Uh, I don't know whether that will be talked about at the BRICS summit tomorrow. What is your understanding of uh, the role of this Wagner 
group? Because whilst uh, NATO nation media clearly tried to ignore the St. Petersburg summit where so many African uh, representatives were present, I think some of them looked aghast at uh, how uh, Russia had managed to have such a conference in the first place. They keep saying, oh, the Niger, the, the uranium superpower of Niger, this is all because of Wagner. What is the role of Wagner, as your understanding is now? And, I mean, what is it? Uh, who is Prigozhin? Just very briefly, because a lot of people are confused about what all that was. Well, actually, there are lots of speculations uh, around both Wagner and Mr. Prigozhin. I believe that uh, what is important is that uh, the summit in St. Petersburg uh, was not just uh, a number of declarations, right? Uh, it implied uh, concrete, substantial things, including the cooperation in um, uh, in um, information security, in energy, in uh, uh, in a number of uh, industrial spheres, in education, etc. So th this was not just a declaration, right? It was not just a toast. Uh, and of course, Russia uh, is increasingly a uh, uh, supply of uh, security uh, in a number of uh, African states. Uh, yeah, but, but why does it need to use privatized military elements? I mean, we talked about Cuba. I mean, they openly said we're going to help places like Angola when they were facing British-American apartheid racism in uh, the South African troops there. Why can't Russia and China come to a deal to help these countries in the face of what's clearly... I mean, in the case of Nigeria, we now know facts about the Nigerian leader and how he was related uh, to drug deals in Chicago. I mean, surely now is the time for China and Russia to uh, start uh, putting troops in Africa to uh, stabilize these countries from uh, U.S. and NATO aggression. Well, uh, it's it's pretty hard to command uh, the security affairs because uh, most of them are uh, naturally... At the invitation. I meant at the invitation of governments of Africa, not just moving in like the United States does. Yeah, well, well actually, uh, uh, their contemporary international relations have uh, different dimensions, right? And uh, we uh, witnessed, we had witnessed the privatization of security relations long before the uh, emergence of uh, Russian private military companies, right? Remember American companies in, uh, in Afghanistan, for instance. So I would say that this is not just, just the Russian, the, the trend related to Russia. This well, so is, Russia's uh, copying that failed example of the Americans. Well, uh, I wouldn't say that it copies the failed example, but uh, there is a trend that uh, security, pro the provision of security and security as such is getting more diversified with the existence of an emergence of non-state actors in this business. Do you think Russia is going to give up the war of uh, attrition and go for some kind of knockout blow and uh, finish this uh, war once and for all against the NATO-backed forces in, in Ukraine? Or is, it, is attrition the way forward? Well, what we see now is that the uh, counter-offense of uh, Ukrainian troops uh, uh, is uh, stagnating, if not collapsing. Some call uh, the, Russia, uh, the Russia operation the counter-offense, arguably. <laughs> but anyway, yes. Uh, I'm not sure that the West and the, 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 the Ukrainians are ready for... Uh, ne negotiations uh, uh, with Russia uh, and are ready to take uh, the Russian concerns, but uh, the fact that uh, uh, their uh, Ukrainian counteroffense uh, is collapsing 
uh, is uh, bolstering the uh, the Russian positions. Clearly, when uh, I mean this is an anniversary of Afghanistan as well. Yeah, this uh, month, the defeat of uh, the United States' longest war, and Hollywood has not been able to even come to terms with that when it comes to soft power, the writers, the actors, the whole, whole cultural elites in NATO nations are not able to come to terms with some of uh, NATO's recent uh, defeats. Do you think uh, Russia, China, the BRICS countries will ever be able to compete with the kind of... Uh, uh, cultural capital that uh, Hollywood and uh, the big uh, television corporations of uh, New York have over the entire world. I mean, uh, as far as I understand it, RT is not that readily available in South Africa amongst cable, some cable operators. So there you have uh, CNN uh, and uh, other arguable propaganda outlets beaming out into the townships while the BRICS summit goes on. How, how is China and Russia and other Global South countries going to get their message through? Well, it's it's uneasy to compete, uh, uh, but uh, actually what we see is uh, that uh, China, uh, Russia and a number of others, uh, other uh, great powers are trying to promote their own visions and uh, the, the, their own products, let's put it like, like this. So if you look at the Chinese cinema, for instance, cinema production, uh, it is now developing quite uh, quite rapidly, right? It's not comparable to Hollywood, but actually they are uh, quite, they feel quite, quite well in at their domestic market. And their domestic market is 1.4 billion of people, right? So it's quite huge. I mean, just finally, some people say that the Russian government and Russian strategists have continually uh, assumed the, that their uh, opponent is rational uh, throughout this uh, situation, the terrible tragedy of 14,000 dead since the coup in Kiev in 2014. How far do you think Biden will go in winning this war as he sees it? Of course, we all lose in any war. How, how far is he going to go, given that we now know Putin was hoodwinked by Angela Merkel and the rest of them at the Minsk agreements. I don't know why Putin believed them. Uh, right now, is our think tanks like yours, is, the, is your uh, Russian Affairs Council prepared for how far Biden is to go, whether it be for Hunter Biden and the contracts or for how uh, Tony Blinken and the rest sees not only contracts but U.S. hegemonic power? Well, you see that uh, what we may witness is a clash of different rationalities. So on the one hand, it's rational for the United States to uh, make a deal with Russia, not to spend these huge resources uh, to support Ukraine uh, and uh, to, 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 have, to face the risk of escalation, and in, including the escalation to uh, nuclear uh, conflict. On the other hand, there is another rationality which implies the fear of defeat, the fear of the um, uh, loss of face, right? Uh, the, the, the fear to lose reputation, uh, etc. So the question is what rationality would prevail uh, at the end? Uh, and of course, it's uh, pretty hard to, to forecast this uh, in any reliable way. Professor Ivan Timofeyev, thank you. And that's it for the show. We'll be back on Saturday with the penultimate episode of this season. Until then, you can keep in touch via all our social media if it's not censored in your country. And head to our channel, Going Underground TV on Rumble.com, to watch new and old episodes of Going Underground. See you Saturday.